So as you can tell uh, from the video, Mercy really is a freedom ministry. And in order for me to explain a little bit more what I mean by that and the kind of freedom I talk, I'm talking about, uh, I want to share with you a story that happened to me a good few years ago. And at the time, we were living in a house at the bottom of a cul-de-sac, uh, a steep hill, and then this cul-de-sac that you couldn't get through. You had one way in, one way out. And we lived at the bottom of that particular street. And it had snowed really badly overnight. And, and in Yorkshire, we get snow. Uh, and in fact, we have lots of snow at the moment in Yorkshire. We had to fight the wilds to get here. Uh, but th that particular year was, was another really bad snow year. And as I opened my front door and looked out, I was kind of expecting, you know, a bit of a winter wonderland sort of feel. But what, in fact, I saw was just total carnage of people trying to get out of our cul-de-sac and I had my neighbor across the street who was completely unprepared she clearly didn't see the weather forecast or if she did she didn't believe it because let's face it they don't always get that right do they and so she came out of her front door with her high heels on her short skirt her work outfit basically on the phone like this with a briefcase in one hand and the baby in a car seat in the other literally slipping sliding her way down towards her car completely unprepared and actually a little bit oblivious to what she was facing. I had a neighbour who lived directly next door to me and he had a really nice car for the summer. Absolutely useless in the winter. And his approach to the scene, to trying to get out of the street, was basically to just put his foot down. And I, don't, I know you guys don't really get a lot of snow here in London, but I can tell you uh, just a top tip for driving in snow, don't just put your foot down. He basically just went two inches up, wheel spinning, noise, there's like this noise that the, the engine makes when it's trying to get up something that it can't get up, and, and snow flying everywhere, and, 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 and everyone's getting covered in it, and he just tried two or three times, two inches up, three inches down, two inches up, three inches down, three times, four times, and then he must have decided that it really didn't matter where he was going anyway, he just got out of his car, left it diagonally across the road, so now we all have to navigate the snow and his car, um, and he just goes back in. And then I had another neighbour who lived next to him and he uh, is one of those people that just, he's a proper Yorkshire guy, shovel, just start shoveling, just start shoveling and um, he might still be doing that, I'm not sure, I haven't seen him for a while, so he was just shoveling. And I looked at all of this going on and I got my boots on and my coat on and got my car keys and got into my car, turned on the engine and pressed a button with W for winter. And as I did that, something in the engine clicks into place. And I come out of my drive, I turn up the hill, and without a skid, without a slide, without snow going anywhere, without drama, I literally managed to power out, get traction, and get out of the cul-de-sac and up the hill and managed to break free from everything that's holding everyone else back. And as I did that, I heard God say to me, this is what my freedom feels like. You see, it had snowed on all of us. I didn't have a special blessing because I know Jesus to have a clear driveway and no snow. No, no, no. Snow is snow. 
Terrain is terrain. Difficulty is difficulty. Challenge is challenge. Adversity is adversity. We all experience life's difficult terrain at different times in our lives, right? We all went through a pandemic. We all had to, we all face economic crisis. We all have difficulties that we need to navigate, except for I got into something that was stronger than me, that was built to guard and protect me, that is able to navigate, gain traction and forward motion on the surface and in the terrain that is holding everyone else back. That is the freedom that Christ died to give us. You know, over the years, I have seen so many people, Christians, who have been stuck at the bottom of their cul-de-sac in life. And I think sometimes we think, you know, we're talking about life-controlling issues, eating disorders, self-harming, depression, suicidal ideation, anything like that. And we kind of go, oh, oh, you know, those difficult things, really difficult things. No, no, I'm talking about cul-de-sacs in all of our lives, things that have the power to hold us back from God's best, things that can keep us stuck and trapped, things like just never-ending anxious thoughts to the point where we can't really sleep at night because we're, we're, we're trying to fix things. We know things like an inability to manage our emotions, things like not being able to uh, trust people, feeling constantly like you have to be looking out for yourself, only rely on yourself, just that sense of independence and, and not really allowing people close because of some things that have happened to you. I'm talking about those kind of cul-de-sacs. I'm talking about the ones like... Um, just not really being able to have close relationships, not being able to um, kind of hold a job down because you back off as soon as things get tough. Those kind of cul-de-sacs that I have seen people wheel spin in around and around and around for years. And then, the, and then it looks like there's motion for a little while, and then it's sliding all the way back to the beginning. And people try and power through it. And they try and do their best. And they try and start digging. I'll just dig. I'll just keep digging. Not realizing that Christ has made available for us his freedom. You know, God knows that life is tough. You know, we sing the song, God is good all the time. And you know what? He absolutely is. It is an ultimate truth. God is good all the time. The thing is, life is not. Life is not good all the time. And God knows that. And he has, according to 2 Peter 1, verse 3, says this. He's, his divine power has bestowed on us absolutely everything necessary for a dynamic spiritual life and godliness. He has not abandoned us to the difficult terrain of our lives. He hasn't turned his back and said, right, I've done everything I'm going to do now. Um, I'll just watch you from afar. No, 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 no. He is with us. He has made available a vehicle called freedom. You know, the thing is, you might know that and recognize that, but maybe, like me, you don't always know where the buttons are in a car called freedom. And I know this because, for me, I drove a car uh, called a Peugeot 307 for about 10 years. I loved that car. Great car. For eight of those years, I didn't know how to open the boot. 
I could only do it with the key fob. I, I swear I looked everywhere. I, I felt all around. I like underneath. Is it there? Is it underneath? I even tried the leg. No, not that kind of car. Like literally could not find the button anywhere. The only way to open it was with the key fob, which meant engine off, key out, press button every single time I wanted to open the boot for eight long years until one day I had a friend who watched me do this and looked at me and said, you do know there's a button for that, right? I'm like, no, I've looked, there is no button. She's like, let me show you. And she walked me around the back of the car and in the 307, inside the O, <laughs> was the button. Whose stupid idea was that? <laughs> Some Danish designer, French actually, it's a French car thinking, oh, that looks nice. Well, actually, also, I did realize at that point I should probably read manuals. Did you know, by the way, that we have a manual? We have a manual called the Bible. And in that actually describes every single button, every key that we need in order to be able to step into, to, to access the freedom Christ died to give us. You know, this this keys to freedom course we want to be that kind of friend to you at mercy we want to be the friend that goes hey do you know there's a button for that do you know there's a button called renewing your mind that can set you free from toxic thoughts that keep going around your head and land you in the same destination time and time again do you know there's a free there's a, key, a button you can press called forgiveness that is actually literally like a turbo boost out of your past and out of the things that pull you back every time you think you break free three inches and pulls you all the way back down again. That's what unforgiveness does. Forgiveness boosts you out of what's held you trapped. There are all sorts of buttons that we can press as Christians that God has laid out in his word for us to be able to experience life and godliness, dynamic freedom, and, you know, we, we, this book is part of its mission is to help you be able to access those. And so it's literally 20 minutes a day with a pen, a Bible and the Holy Spirit. Just take time out, use it as your devotional time. And you do 20 minutes a day for five days a week for eight weeks. And it will literally walk you through and teach you where the buttons are. What do I need to, where, how, do, where, how do I open the door? How do I get in? How do I turn the engine on? How do I press these buttons? How do I live my life as a Christian with the same challenges everyone else has got, but able to navigate them and get out of them? How do I do that? Well, this is what that is there for. Now, I don't have time today to go through each one of those buttons. It's why it's all written there for you. And I'm really excited for the journey you're going on as individuals, but also collectively as a church. I am excited about the levels of freedom you'll find and what that's going to do in your life, but also in the impact it's going to have on the community around you. But I don't have time to go through each one today. I do, however, have time to just focus on what I've called the master key. Each one of those, forgiveness, renewing your mind, breaking free from generational patterns, you know, using your authority in Christ, all those keys are excellent, but without the master key, they are incomplete. And so the master key is the one that I have the time to tell you about today. And the master key has a name, and his name is Jesus. 
Because Jesus isn't just the giver of our freedom. He is our freedom. It's him that we step into. It's his power that we rely on. It is his ability. It's his forward motion. It's his traction. It's all him. And our responsibility is literally to to step into it, to be close enough to be able to have him surround us. You know, in in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 17, it says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You want freedom, you go to the source. You go where freedom is, you go to who freedom is. Capital F. We need to connect to him for ourselves, know him. Do you know him? And I want to Go to a story in the Bible where Jesus has a conversation with his disciples that really the crux of it is this. Who do you say that I am? Who am I to you? And it's found in Matthew 16, verse 13 to 18. And I'm going to read it to you and just pull out a few um, points that I think are really important for us to just get our heads around right now. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, and I'm going to stop there, which I know is unusual, because I haven't really said anything yet. It just says, Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi. And for years, I actually just went straight past that, because it didn't mean anything to me. I don't know where that was. I don't know. Until I went to Caesarea Philippi. I went on a trip and was led by a, a, a historian who told us the context of this place. And it's changed everything I know about this scripture now. It's put it into perspective. You see, Caesarea Philippi, first of all, is in the far north of the country. It's 32 mile round trip out of Jesus's way. So there's nothing else beyond it. You have to be deliberate in choosing to go there. So he obviously at some point decided, that's where I want to go. Now, what you need to know about Caesarea Philippi is this. It is, when we got there, I mean, it's just ruins now, but what's left is this huge cliff, this rock face, known as the rock of the gods, plural. And into it is carved little spaces for altars and temples. and, and, And it was known as a place where people would worship idols. And the main feature of this cliff face is the huge cave entrance that is there. And inside that cave, in fact, outside the cave was all the, the, the foundations and the ruins of the temple that was built around the mouth of the cave. But Inside the cave, it wasn't there anymore, but there used to be a spring coming out of the ground. It was spring water. It was the source of, of, the, of spring water. And they believed that this particular spring uh, was a passageway between this earth and the underworld. And they called it the Gates of Hades. It was believed to be the birthplace of the Greek god Pan which we get the word, English word panic from. He was the god of the wild, the god of chaos, the god of panic. And in worship to this god, there would be child sacrifice and all sorts of temple prostitutes. And it was all out in the open, done in the open. And people would gather from miles to bow their knee in worship of dark forces. In fact, so dark was the place that Jesus wasn't actually permitted to go there as a Jewish rabbi and certainly wasn't allowed to bring 12 young men there with him. And so here we have our Jesus. (laughs) That's a very Yorkshire saying, our Jesus. Turning north to a place he's not allowed to go 
bringing young men who are also not allowed to go, out of his way, why? Now I want to know why. Well, let's see the conversation he has. He was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, he had a good day that day. Peter, we have a little history of not saying the right thing at the right time. Good day for Peter. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock, that's the rock of the revelation of Christ's identity that Peter just spoke out on that rock, not the rock of the gods in front of which we are standing, not the, not the, the rock of the many, but the one true living God. On that revelation, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. Jesus asked, who do they say that I am? Do you know that who they say Jesus is will never power you out of your cul-de-sac? It's never enough. Someone else's revelation of Christ's identity is not enough for you. You can listen to great Christian podcasts. You can read Christian self-help books. And that is good to do. It's healthy. It's, it's, it, I would recommend it. But it is not your freedom. You can come to a wonderful church community like this every single week. And I think it's amazing. And you should be doing that. It says so in the word. But it is not your freedom. You can raise your hands in worship like we did. And it can open something up for you, but it is not your freedom. You can say amen when the preacher tells you to. That's about four people. You can say amen when the preacher tells you to. Anybody feel any freer? It's not your freedom. You can go to a therapist and a counsellor, psychotherapist, and if you need that, please absolutely do that. But it is not your freedom. Your freedom is in Jesus. It's in him and with him and through him that we experience the fullness of the freedom that he died to give us. I grew up in church. I love the body of Christ. I put chairs out. I waved cars in. I even, and this was my favourite bit of church, in the whole history of my church experience, not really, but I, and this is going to age me, I was on the front row and I got to operate the OHP. And everybody under the age of 30 is looking at me like, what the heck is an OHP? It is an overhead projector. And you still don't know what that is. Basically, I got to put the words of the songs on the screen. That's it. That's what I got to do. I loved it. I had a great relationship with the church, with the body of Christ. But if I had not made a commitment and a connection to the head of the body for myself, then I would not have been able to navigate the rough terrain that my adult life would throw at me. And I think this is something we learned in lockdown when the, the structure of church was dismantled for a while. 
when we couldn't gather together in the way that we do now, when we couldn't worship together, when we couldn't hear the preacher preach on a Sunday in the same way, when we were reliant really on our own connection to Christ, it became very clear who had that, who they say is not enough. Who do, who do you say that he is? Who do you say that he is? Do you know that Jesus will only ever be to you who you say that he is. That blows my mind, by the way. Because you see, Jesus is the son of God. He is the king of kings and the Lord of laws and the prince of peace. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the redeemer. He's the rock. He is the protector. He's the shield. He is, the, he is the, the beginning and the end and everything in between. He is wisdom and he is patience and he is peace. He is all of those things, all of them, all of them. But none of them to you if you don't say so. We can reduce him to such a small vehicle when he has made available all of his resources, all of his names are ours to approach and to use. In 2 Peter 1.3, the scripture I mentioned earlier, Peter is very helpful in that he doesn't just describe the fact that we have been given this divine power, we've been given this freedom, we have this vehicle that we can step into. It's made available to all of us. He also tells us how. He doesn't just say his divine power has bestowed on us absolutely everything necessary for a dynamic spiritual life and godliness, comma. Now he tells us how, and he says this. Through true and personal knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellent. And there you have it. Who do you say that he is? That is actually how you access his freedom. By knowing who he is and by allowing him to give you your identity. Because that's what he did with Peter. When Peter said, you are the son of the living God, Jesus was, and you are. I love that it was Peter who wrote that. Because Peter knew it. Peter was the first human being, by the way, to ever speak out loud the identity of Christ. I find it fascinating, and I love it, actually, that Jesus chose, particularly for that moment in history, that historic declaration of the identity of Christ to be sound and heard out loud in front of the darkest strongholds. Do you know that when you are facing your darkest times, when the God of panic and chaos and fear and anxiety and depression and dysfunction, when all those things that surround us in life, when they are shouting their loudest, it is your voice declaring who Christ is that changes everything. It changes everything. The enemy needs to hear who you say Jesus is. Because who you say Jesus is, is what he is to you. I have a friend who um, lives in California. It's really handy having a friend who lives in California. And she uh, told me this story about the vineyards in the Napa Valley. And she, she said that uh, in the early days of the 60s, I think it was whenever, I'm kind of making that bit up, 
uh, but at, in, in history at some point, the vineyards um, decided to make use of you know, modern technology and they did something called artificial irrigation. So they, they put into the ground pipes full of water about two inches deep into the soil and they just pumped the water in, which meant that the vineyards, the crops would always have water available. And it really did have a huge impact on the crop and it did well for all the vineyards who had it in place because it was just a constant supply of water uh, at all times and really benefited the growth and, and productivity of the vines. Until many years later, there was a drought. And the drought didn't go away. It got worse after year after year after year. And the authorities would have to limit the amount of water that was sent through the pipes to the point where some of the vineyards were beginning to really suffer and having to close down and losing major crops and losing income and finance, except for a very small family-run vineyard led by an old man who had resisted the modern technology of putting artificial irrigation down on the basis that he just believed that vines should do what vines were created to do, which is to grow their roots down deep enough to find their own water supply. Who do you say Jesus is? You need your own supply. You need to not rely on the two inches deep, constant information, constant information. And this is one of the reasons why we've done Keys to Freedom in the way we've done it. So that really is you, up to you. You have to do the work. This is not go somewhere, get fed, you know, talk about something, listen to someone else's revelation. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But for us, it's really important. If you are going to step into a vehicle called freedom, that you actually engage yourself, meaning you take your pen, you take your Bible, you take your copy of Keys to Freedom, you take your time, 20 minutes a day, and you have an appointment with the Holy Spirit. And you start working through some of the key fundamental principles of what it means to be a Christian living, in li living life today with the keys to freedom available to all of us. You know, in Jeremiah 17, 7 to 8, is exactly what that Napa Valley story is talking about. It says, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. No matter the circumstances, no matter the situation, no matter the terrain you're facing right now, no matter the pressure you're under, all of those things are real. The snow I faced was real. It held people back. So this isn't fake trauma. This is not fake difficulty. This is real but the vehicle called freedom that God has made available to us is more than able. He is all sufficient. His grace carries us. His comfort brings us healing and joy. Despite circumstances, in circumstances. There's two things I want to just mention about the snow story as we close. The first is that as I got in my car and drove off and I looked in my rearview mirror, all my neighbours who were fighting the terrain stopped what they were doing and watched me leave. <laughs> there may have been a swear word <laughs> spoken by them. I am not kidding you, this is absolutely 100% true. 
every single one of them by the following winter had a four by four. Why? Because I faced the same things they faced. And yet I was able to get unstuck. I was able to move forward. I was able to get out of what was holding them back. And that's what people need to see. They need to see a church, not a church that is perfect, not a church that doesn't have problems, not a church that has a special blessing. No, no, no. A church that is facing a pandemic, a church that is facing health difficulties, relational difficulties, a church that is facing job losses or whatever it might be that we are facing in our lives. God is good. Life isn't always. But they need to see the fact that we have something that gives us power that is not our own that protects us, guides us, sends us forward and through and out the other side. That is what a community around us needs to see. And the second thing that that vehicle gave me in that situation was the ability to pick other people up. You see, we ran a a home that needed to be open 24-7 and there was staff that needed to get there and I was the only one with a 4 by 4 And so I... As I left my street, I went to other people's streets and opened my door wide and said, let me carry you for a while. Let me take you where you need to be. And that's what our freedom is supposed to do. It's supposed to be big enough, not just for our own needs and our own great life and our own um, health and well-being. No, no, no. It's supposed to be strong enough and big enough to open it up and go, hey, you can get into my freedom for a little while and I'll take you where you need to go. You can't stay there. (laughs) but I'll carry you for a little while. Let's be a people who are able to not just step into the freedom Christ died to give us, but then are able to create room inside that for those who don't don't yet know him. You know, the four by fours are not meant to just go to the shops and back. They're not meant to be just for the school run. These cars are built to go off-road into the difficult-to-reach places. The car I drove at the time, they showed, could get to the top of a Scottish mountain. I've never taken it to the top of a Scottish mountain, just FYI. But our freedom is made of the same kind of stuff. It's meant to go off-road. It's meant to go to the hard-to-reach places. It's meant to go to the places where people get stuck, where people don't have the ability to get out of. That's where we're supposed to go. Let's be people that understand that our strength is for service and not for status. And it's why I'm so excited that you are starting this journey because you're going to find that deep sense of deepening your relationship with God, with yourself and with others around you.